Good morning, church family. My name is Bess Brando, and I'm a recent Lake Ave High School grad. I went to Marshall Fundamental for high school and am attending UC San Diego this fall. I have loved growing up at Lake, and my favorite part has been seeing my faith grow through my church community and reflecting on these changes throughout different stages of my life. Our scripture reading today is Psalms 42 and 43. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs with his love. At night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Wonder this time where she's gone Wonder if she's gone to stay Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she's gone away Anytime she's gone away 
Anytime she's gone away I'm glad you're here this morning. There are so many hundreds of our people gone. Ain't no sunshine when they're gone. You can see it outside when you came in. But there is here. I see all of our good-looking people showed up today. You, <laughs> uh, you may wonder, what on earth is that about? That's not in the Bible that I just sang. It is one of my very favorite blues songs sung by Bill Withers. Grew up down the hill from me in, in West Virginia. And I wanted to sing a part of one of my favorite blues songs because today, if you, if you listen to Bess, you know that we had two blues psalms. Uh, it's really just one. I don't know why they ever get separated, so we'll be looking at them as one. It, written so long ago, yes, they had blues music back thousands of years ago. In fact, um, any time that I look at the arts from any culture, any time in history, when I see the visual arts, when I read the literature, when I listen to the music, I find blues arts everywhere. It's, it's just, I think, that our blues music is better than any other music in the history of the world. I just want to point out that what we often call the blues is cross-cultural. So in our day, many of the things that people have called the blues really fall under a larger category that we call mental health. And in fact, you'll see that that's what I want to talk to you about today. And mental health includes all these things like uh, anxiety, panic attacks, uh, depression, all the things related to fear, paranoia and schizophrenia, uh, memory loss, things of dementia and Alzheimer's, things uh, dealing with um, addictions, often leading to cutting and uh, eating disorders. All of them fall into those categories, which are becoming more and more known to be happening in our society. I, I want to say right up front, many things can lead to mental health struggles because we in the church believe in a real personal evil. Sometimes we've got to know that the devil is at work and we dare not be blind to that, but sometimes there are very natural things that lead to these mental health problems, things done to us, I jotted down a few, physical, verbal, sexual abuse, provoke, lasting, mental issues. Sometimes when they're happening, you're not even aware of them not even conscious of them. It's not just abuse issues, something else, just the stress-filled settings. There's so much a part of this world that we are in, sometimes things like overcrowded conditions or situations of extreme poverty can, can be a part of that. Dysfunctional family or friendships, relationships, they often have this powerful impact upon our inner being that keep coming out the rest of our lives. In fact, a number of years ago, a seminal study was done about this jointly by the U.S. Center for Disease Control and by Kaiser Permanente. Perhaps you heard about it. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. It really looked at the effect of both abuse as well as some of these other matters that I mentioned upon children and what happens in their later lives. 
their physical health, their mental, their emotional health. I, I have a, a chart to show this to you. I'm not going to go through this. You might want to take a picture of this. Some of you do that or, or uh, just find it yourself. But it shows you how those kind of factors that I've just mentioned when they're experienced in childhood continue to have a huge effect all the way into adulthood so that you see at the very bottom of that the trauma-inducing social factors, like I mentioned, abuse or just overcrowding, all sorts of things that lead eventually to disease and eventually to disability and even to earlier death being diagnosed. Now I'll tell you, I'll just say this, because I've been praying so much about this and many of you have talked with me about these issues, it's, it's made me wonder how the conditions being reported about our migrant children being held currently in detention centers. I just wonder what's happening in their inner beings. Uh, we're looking for a way that we might be able to bring some of the balm of Jesus into those settings. Uh, if you have any good ideas, call pa Pastor Scott. <laughs> but uh, I would just wonder about that as I've been working on this message. So those kind of factors happen, but also more internal ones like biological factors affect our mental health. Some people uh, have chemical imbalances that simply need to be dealt with and get gotten back into sync, and others just seem to be born with kind of predispositions toward things like depression and anxiety. All, all of this is to say that in my experience, I have recognized that there are many factors, some of them external to us, circumstantial, some of them internal to us that affect our mental health. And I think that when you really look through the Psalms, and I hope you will read those carefully, beautiful, powerful Psalms, when you look at this, you see almost all those kind of factors evidenced in the psalmist who wrote this. For example, you'll, you'll see he certainly felt like there were external kind of hostile uh, factors coming at him. He writes about that in Psalm 42, verse 10. He brings it back again in Psalm 43, verses one and two. And at the same time, it's clear that it, it seems like his whole inner being is per, permeated by him being prone toward things like being downcast and disturbed. So that brings us to the series. Ancient words for a modern longing. His words, why soul are you downcast? Why soul are you disturbed? So in, as I think about modern longings, in our day, mental health has become such an important issue for our time. I have known this for a long time. Just earlier this year, I began to become more and more aware of just how significant this issue is, particularly with our students and our, uh, in high school and in college. I had the privilege in March of being able to be with some student development professionals, uh, student life, student affair professionals, talking together about the main, in a Christian colleges, in Christian colleges talking about the main issues that students are mentioning that they really hope their Christian schools will not ignore and praying that their churches won't ignore either. And they mentioned uh, several of them during that time, some of them being race, that doesn't surprise you, sexual identity issues, uh, gender issues like the uh, Me Too movement, uh, there were three that they mentioned, Kara Powell in our church who does such significant research on what students are addressing and facing in this world confirmed to me that those are big issues that she is seeing as well. But it was surprising to me that in terms of some sheer numbers, much more pressing than even those sorts of things was this issue of mental health. Um, a study that was done by the Pew Research Center this year, it came out this year, and once again, I'll show you a little bit of that, 
pointed out that these issues of depression and anxiety top the list of concerns that college students are saying they are seeing among their college-aged peers. And they cross often those normal lines of race, ethnicity, and socioeconomics. It seems like no matter which skin color we have or bring with us into the college campus, and no matter how much money we have grown up with, we are struggling in our world with mental health issues. So that, that is the... Um, that is the modern longing, uh, a longing for mental and emotional wholeness. And then I always wonder, does the Bible speak into these matters? <laughs> and I'll tell you, when it, it comes to these issues that are cross-cultural, I find that it always, always does. When we d come to this text that, that best read for us, it may have been written as much as 3,000 years ago. And yet we find this psalmist referring to the very same kinds of struggles that we're finding our students in our world struggling with today. And I'll just show you a little bit of this because, you know, our time will go so quickly. But just two words that are recurrent. Uh, uh, Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11 comes back again in chapter uh, uh, 43, verse 5. These two words are, are so significant, downcast and disturbed. Downcast powerful, strong word in Hebrew, and it means to melt away, feel like into nothingness. You sort of feel that. It means to be cast down into a dark place that you think you'll never emerge from. It, it's a word that expresses what so many people who are going through deep depression and come in and ask me as a pastor just to pray with you have expressed to me that these times when depression hits, it sometimes feels like a dark, heavy blanket being pulled over your head and you just would like to disappear and melt away, downcast. And that other word, disturbed, it's also a strong word. It means to just feel disoriented, agitated, restless, anxious. You can see it when you put these two words together, downcast and disturbed. They, they give us sort of a comprehensive description of the feelings that people in our days express when they talk about going through times of emotional and mental distress. Now, we have newer names for them in our day, but I'll tell you, what I, the thing I'm trying to say to you is, these matters that students are expressing happening in their lives, and I'm sure many of us who are much older than those students, are the same kinds of things that this side of when sin entered this world, and before Jesus comes back and makes everything right, people experience, and so we have blues songs being sung in every culture. People are struggling with mental and emotional health issues everywhere. Now, there's so many things that I could talk about. I try to th think, what are the most important ones? So my next point I want to say is, hashtag us too. Hashtag us too. Oh, it's psalmist. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you, O Lord. The thing I want to say to you is so often we sort of have this idea that these kind of problems people should have out there in the world, uh, but, but not here. And what I want to say to you is that you dare not be surprised when you find yourself going through the kinds of struggles that fall under that category of, of mental illness and mental health, and you really should not be surprised when you see others in the life of your church family going through the same kinds of things. Uh, 
there are gonna be times when just like this psalmist, we who go to Lake Avenue Church are going to feel downcast and disturbed. One of the things I want you to see is if you look at the superscription to, to Psalm 42, you'll see it's called a mascal. That means it's, it's kind of a worship song that was being sung uh, and it was, it was by or of uh, the sons of Korah. This was the group of people, the family that seemed to be responsible for the worship life, the music life, it, when the people gathered together to worship. So I, I've thought if we, if the Lord tarries long enough, maybe it would be the sons of Jeremy that you would have do this. Maybe Jacob and Luke and Levi will join in and lead us in music someday. I don't know, but it's been passed down. The, the whole point is, this, these were songs written for the worship of God's people. It wasn't written saying, oh, out there, sometimes people are down, it's saying right here. We come into church, it, it's written for us. It, it, it's written as a song and included in God's word to connect people like us who believe in God, who love God, but are going through dark times back to the hope that is found in God. So I, I want to say this side of heaven, both Christian and non-Christian alike, will deal with all sorts of issues related to mental health. In fact, we talk about that in our Lake Avenue Church guiding statement, what you can find online. The, the vision that we have in that guiding statement comes from Colossians 1.28. It's that if you become a part of this church, we're gonna make a commitment to one another that each one, in Colossians 28, it's three times, each one, each one, will become what, what's called complete in Christ. You, you see what that suggests to us, that none of us is yet complete in Christ that we all have a lot of growing to do in every aspect of our lives, and I'll tell you, one part of that is clearly this one um, of mental and emotional health. I think that God plants churches in this world, like Lake Avenue Church, to do several things. One is to glorify his name in the world and to give witness to Jesus. We're to be witnesses here to what he can do in our lives. But a part of it is he puts us into a church in this fallen world so that we can be involved in one another's lives and grow to become what he has called us to be. Psalm 42 and 43, that's in the Bible because the way the psalmist felt is a normal part of life in this world. Uh, what he expresses is they don't constitute the way our lives are going to be when Jesus comes and finishes his work. But I'm telling you, it's a normal part of life this side of heaven. Now, you're with me still, right? I don't know what's happened over the last 40 to 50 years in the American church that has led us to thinking that when we give our lives to Jesus, then poof, we, we're not going to have any any more problems? We know that Christian and non-Christian alike go through physical illness. We shouldn't be surprised when the same thing is true of the rest of our being. What, what happens if we get this idea that, boy, if I, I trust Jesus enough, I won't have any problems? It will create a culture among us that anybody going through those things, we have to hide it from one another. It creates shame when we experience it. That's not the kind of church that any church should be, and that I long that Lake Avenue Church will never be that. It's not what Scripture teaches that the church is like. He, he's given us to one another and given us different gifts so that we can be involved in one another's becoming whole in every part of our beings. 
I was hoping maybe to get amen, may we be that. So I'll, I'll keep going here. As Tega Warku, our director of uh, counseling, said to me, he said, uh, it used to be that when people had emotional and mental issues, they first went to the church to find help. Now they first go to the therapist. Recognize he is a therapist, so he sees value in this, okay? And they, they hide their challenges in their life journey from their church. I am just praying that even though there is really a, a, an important role that good Christ-centered therapists are to play in the healing process, and that there really is a role that the meds that help us, especially when some of those biological factors, those are a part of it, but foundationally, we need a local church where we can just open up our lives about whatever is happening because we are all, as Denny Balesi used to say to us, pieces of work. But we're pieces of God's work. And he's given us to one another so that he can do this work among us. We are to be involved in one another's lives in such a way. The book of Ephesians talks so much about this and I'll just show you one little passage of this. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Here's what we are to do. We are to grow up together. And he's talking in the life of the church. And he's just talked about all of us having different gifts so that this can happen. In every way, we're to grow up together into him who is the head, into Christ, becoming like him, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. That's us, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what I think, and I think I stole this from Sega too. If we do not have people in our church and in our small groups that we know are struggling with mental health issues, indeed, I'll add, if we do not confess to the times when we ourselves feel downcast and disturbed, then we've become a social club, not a church. Jesus said he had come not for those who are healthy. And there, there were the religious leaders pretending they were healthy, but they, need, they needed the power of Jesus uh, to come into their lives. He had come for the sick, and that is us, all of us. So, I did, as I was preparing this message, I was traveling, and I was speaking with someone very, very close to me, whom I won't mention, who really understands mental health struggles. And I said to her, I'll be speaking about mental health issues in my next sermon. So is it okay we were just, if, if I speak with you about those things right now? And she said, of course it's okay. I want to speak about those things. I just wasn't sure that you wanted to which sort of tells us how we view these sorts of things. We just don't think we talk about those things uh, with, with good, strong Christian people. Well, as you know, uh, I'm sure, Pastor Rick Warren, uh, the Saddleback Church just to the south of us, and his wife Kay have become leading spokespersons about the role that a church should play as, as a leading uh, community where people can find some help for mental and emotional illness. This all happened when after years of their son Mark struggling with mental health issues, but uh, doing it more in secrecy from, from his church family, he took his own life. Do you know that story? So uh, Rick and Kay, his wife, have written a great deal about this. I put just one little piece. I think it's important for us, for you to see. They said, the biggest thing we can do as pastors and churches is to remove the stigma behind mental illness. 
We have to assure people that it's no sin to be sick. Your chemistry is not your character. Your illness is not your identity. We're, we're all broken. So I just want to say something about us too. God is still at work. He's going to complete that work that he does in each one of us. And so we need to open up those places when we say this is an area in which I'm not yet complete and let the body of Christ do its work. Which brings me to the next thing. I think the key provision that the church has to offer is this, an experience of God's presence that I think we can experience God's presence in many ways, but one of the main places we're to experience it is here together. We experience the presence of God, though we still have to walk by faith, not by sight, but we experience his presence in many places, but especially here in our worship and service together with God's people. So here's what he says, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Oh my God, that's what's missing. That's where he starts his blues song. And then in verse four, but I remember, I remember how I would go to the house of God. (laughs) And when I did, did it, I went with glad shouts and songs of praise, which he obviously didn't feel when he wrote these, uh, these verses that are here because he was far away from his worship community. So it becomes really clear to me that the most important part of the psalmist's need at this time in his life was to experience the presence and restorative power of God in his life. So his blues psalm begins with that in verse one, it ends with that in uh, Psalm 43 verses three through five. So I'll tell you, um, whenever you find yourself feeling feeling downcast and, uh, and distressed and disturbed, there, there will be a good place to, to find good counseling. There will be a place where I think meds can kick in. Uh, there will be a place where other kinds of just practical advice I think will be helpful to you. Uh, changing your eating habits might help. <laughs> Sleeping a little more might help. All those things can help to find some relief from those traumatic kind of experiences we have. And if you haven't found those kinds of help, we wanna help you as your church family too. Did you know we have a crisis intake number? I'm gonna put it up here for you. Uh, You might wanna take a shot of that or write it down as well, 626-844-4794. Let me give you realistic expectations. If you call that number, just leave your name and your contact information and our coordinators for that number will get back to you and help you together with them to determine the next step, which might be to find a good Christian counselor here in the community or right here in our own church counseling center. So all those things are important to deal with, but as I've been saying, the foundational need of every human being is to be in genuine and close relationship to God. Uh, Read through the the whole Bible from beginning to end. Where things are whole, God dwells with his people. And at the end, he's gonna be dwelling with his people. And Jesus says, I have come so that you will never know that I never leave you or forsake you, but sometimes God seems to be far away. And I want to add that I truly believe that the main place where we experience, especially in times of distress, the presence of God in our lives should be in our local church family. Do you agree with that? Uh, You noticed I put it aspirational, should be. (laughs) I know many times it hasn't been that. We've become too corporate or something. But I'm praying more and more and more that this place will be the kind of, and I see God doing this among us the kind of place where we just bring in whatever is happening in our lives and we meet God together and he changes things. His, his, 
main place, it seems like, of the experience of God was in the worship life of his church. Did you notice that? And I think sometimes we get to be so busy, things outside or even things, meetings here inside that we'd, many times we don't make it into the worship life together with all of God's people. What you're doing to, today is what so often, when I feel myself so discouraged or whatever I may be feeling, I come here, the music begins and my heart is lifted to God. And I sort of say like sometimes you're reading the Psalms, I am a believer, <laughs> Lord, and I'm gonna trust you on this. So the psalmist wrote this blues psalm. It's clear in verse four that he was away from his worshiping community. I, I, remember, I remember it was different when I got to show up regularly in the house and then I had this, some shouts of joy and songs of praise. He missed going to worship. He missed singing with God's people. He missed praying with God's people. I, I know but sometimes when these issues of mental health hit you, you don't feel any energy to show up at church or to your small group. But I think at that point, perhaps that's the thing you most need to do. I, I'm convinced that the key provision that provides the basis for mental healing is this growing experience of God's presence, of his love, of his sufficiency. And I, I think the scripture just really teaches us that that's one of the reasons why he's even put us here in Pasadena, California. And it's why we put these three essential connections that for your spiritual growth, your completion in Christ to be worship regularly, worshiping in unity, you've seen these before, together with God's people, finding a smaller community of people that you can share your life and pray together, whether that's a class or whether that's a small group in a home or wherever it may be, and then service alongside your church people. Because I'll tell you, when the distress comes, sometimes when you get outside of yourself and God actually uses you in the lives of other people, it's amazing what happens. So that's key provision. Now, I wanna give one sort of practical tip, uh, and I'm just calling it do something. I see this happening throughout this psalm. Soul talks to himself. <laughs> Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. So when I was having this conversation with a person very, very close to me about mental illness, I said, uh, is there anything I can share with with the people I love here at Lake Avenue Church, simple suggestion that you found helpful over the years. She said, yes, when, when the darkness comes, my counselor told me, just do something. Doesn't have to be a big thing. Get, get out from under that blanket of darkness. So she said, I do, I, I go wash the dishes. I, I call a friend to pray with me. Uh, otherwise, if I, don't, if I just stay there and the darkness just keeps getting darker. So you know what I did, I read through uh, Psalm 42 and 43 and started joining, uh, writing down what the psalmist did. And I think what he did seemed to help him and it might help you. So, or, and you might pass this on to others as well who go through these times. So I'll, I'll show them to you. What did he do? Pray even when you don't want to. I pour out my soul. And note, Why have you forgotten me? Well, I mean, that is a prayer, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> This sort of a prayer shows an honest, transparent relationship, and the Psalms are filled with them. And notice he didn't do this thing of asking why just once, he did it four times. And for him, prayer wasn't just sort of some sort of prescribed words that he speaks. He, it was a relationship to God. He knew God, and he couldn't figure out why God would let this happen to him. You know what, prayer, in the midst of mental distress, to me, uh, the illustration I think of, it, it's a bit like when you 
open up your eyes in, in the middle of the night and it's so dark, you, you can't see anything around you. Where are those glasses? How, what, is the dog here? Am I going to step on him? All these things. You can't see anything. But then if you just wait for a few moments, your eyes begin to adjust. Slowly, slowly, slowly you begin. You just begin to see. And I'll tell you, in, in dark times emotionally and mentally, people of faith learn to pray even when you don't feel like it. And what happens is you dwell there in prayer for a while, just like your eyes adjust to the darkness physically when you wake up at night, so that when you fix your eyes on, on God, the one who brought light into this world, you begin, you begin to see a ray of, of hope. I, I pray you'll do that. Second thing I see him do, sing even when you don't feel like it. Might be a blues song, you're gonna wanna sing. <laughs> Notice in verse 8, at night his song is with me. So a prayer now to the God of my life. Now these are not joy-filled songs that we have in Psalm 42 and 43. The psalmist didn't feel joy when he wrote this. This is a blues song, a pleading song. It is a song, and this phrase, a song to the God of my life. That means he's pleading for his life. He didn't know if he wanted to keep living. He sang something like that old Negro spiritual, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody. But I should have sung that one, Jesus. That's more, it was a more religious song, I think, than what I did. It's something that I find that I learned to do. I, it doesn't come naturally. I find that music is such a gift from God. Songs engage our emotions. When, when you sing songs expressing what you believe about God, what he is like, calling you to apply what you believe about him to your own current experience, you often find your heart starting to be lifted out of that darkness and distress. What else do I see him doing? Speak truth to yourself that you might not want to hear. Speak truth to yourself that you might not want to hear. You, O oh God, are my stronghold. There's some of the truth that's there, but why are you downcast, soul? <laughs> Put your trust in him. Now, the thing I've got to say to you is in order for you to speak God's truth into your life, you need to know what the truth is in Scripture. So I am praying in the good times you'll become a student of the word. I pray that you'll make it regularly here and that we'll always open up this word and teach it so that whenever these times come, you'll have some of that truth of God to apply to your life. I pray even this text is something that in the midst of whatever you face, you'll be able to apply to your life. You need to know God's word in order to apply it to your soul. Throughout this song, the uh, psalmist just takes those truths that he knew and he just sang them into his own experience. And then fourth, and this is so big, affirm that God loves you. You're not going to be sure of that. Take time to know that God is God. Affirm that God loves you even when you don't feel it. He says in verse, amen, amen. In, in, in verse eight, by day the Lord directs his steadfast love, his hesed, his, his love that never is taken away from us. Even though the psalmist said he felt that God had forgotten him, he never stopped believing that God loved him and that God was with him and God had power over the issues that were creating all of his problems. And it's not to say that when we get to the end of this song, suddenly all 
uh, the problems were gone. In, in fact, he had been through, as I read this thing, waves of darkness before. So I'm sure he knew that another one might be coming. But he also knew this, that when he took time to remember the love of God for him, that's when the breakthrough began. We began to see the light. Let me just show you a couple of verses, part of what he prayed right at the end, Psalm 43, three and four. Send me your light. You can feel how much he needs it. Your faithful care. Send those to me, Lord. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to that place where you dwell. Then, here's what I'm going to I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. So I, that's what we're going to do right now, okay? <laughs> we're going to go to the altar of God. We're going to do it together as a church family. It's what we do in communion. You know what we do in communion? We remember the love of Jesus for us, don't we? I mean, we remember he died, but you know why he did it. It's the greatest demonstration of God's love for you in the history of the world. Knowing everything about you and me, he came and he gave his life in our place for our forgiveness and for our rescue. Communion also points to the fact we're going to do this until he comes back again. So death didn't hold him, did it? It's not only the greatest demonstration of God's love, it's the greatest demonstration of God's power. Sin could not hold him. Death could not contain him. We're going to remember that. And it tells us we're to do this until he returns. That means we're not going to be surprised when we come into church and we've gone through this time again. This side of heaven until Jesus returns and makes everything right, we're going to walk through times when we feel downcast and disturbed. But God's given us to one another and he will never leave us. His spirit dwells within us. And I pray that uh, today, as we go to communion as a church family, we will remember his love, his power, his presence with us, and that we'll keep doing it together until we are each one of us here at Lake Avenue Church. Can you imagine these people around you, even your pastor, we are going to become complete, complete in Christ. So we're gonna go to communion, amen. We're gonna go to communion. Let me tell you if you're visiting, we have so many of our people away, I know that we have some visiting, so this is the Lord's table. If uh, you've given your life to the Lord Jesus and you're really committed to walking with the Lord Jesus as, as the Lord of your life, then this table, you join your, your church family here, wherever you come from, uh, in, in communion. The way we do it here is if you have the ability, as the music is played, step out and come up to the tables. We have them up in the balcony. We have them in the middle of the worship center as well. Come and then take both elements, uh, both the bread, pointing to the body of Christ uh, and, and the cup, uh, the blood of Christ. Take them back to where you're seated so that we can, as a church family, take them together. Remembering that he died, yes, for me, but he died for us. If, if you have a gluten allergy, that table all the way over to my right is where you should go. And if you cannot uh, get out of your seat for whatever reason, our stewards will come out and just wave your hand and they'll bring you the elements so you can participate with us. If our stewards would come to the table, ah, let me lead us in prayer. Father, take this your word in every place 
where we've heard it and been faithful to it, take it and apply it even now to our hearts and lives. We see the psalmist in his time of worship wanting to go to the altar of God, that place of meeting God. We're going to be coming to this place of the cross, remembering the love of Jesus, remembering the power of Jesus, remembering the promised return of Jesus. Father, I pray that for anyone who may be coming, feeling like the psalmist did today, downcast and disturbed, that this would be a place where your light breaks through. I pray for any who have come and have never come to know you, that this might be their day of faith, placing their faith in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and coming alive to you. Father, in these moments, do your work in us and among us so that you might do it through us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you're ready.